Hey, it's um, 10 past 9 in the evening, and thanks for joining me on this evening walk. The only reason that I'm doing this now, because normally I like to record in the morning, is that on my Apple Watch, uh, I got an indication that I still had to close my rings. Actually, I've already closed two of the rings. The, the easiest one is the, the one that tells me to stand every hour. Um, so usually I close that one the first. And the second one is, um, I think, the exercise ring. That's the green one. Um, and I think it automatically counts when I'm going for a bike ride or just for a walk. Like a few hours ago, I went to get some groceries. So that counts. And then the, the hardest one to close is the calorie one, the move ring, which is red. And I've set it to... Um, to be 550 calories uh, long. <laughs> it's a circle, so I don't know if you can talk about length. But um, you can set it to various amounts. But I set myself a goal a while ago when I first got the watch to uh, burn at least 500 calories every day, which usually on the day where I'm running or just moderately active, that's not a problem. But there are also days when it's a bit harder when I've been sitting all day at my computer or when I'm tired or, as is my case now, um, when I'm uh, resting because I have trained quite a bit yesterday and uh, I was on the verge of getting an injury. Um, I overdid it a little bit at the beginning of the training and so I had to really calm down and I know that if my legs start to hurt in a certain way if I force it, if I would have gone out for a run or even just another type of exercise that involves my legs, um, I would uh, incur the risk of an injury. And so there was no exercise planned for today. <laughs> and um, I'm now at about 250 calories, so I still need to walk it off, as they say. Walking itself is pretty low energy, low uh, impact. And... Um, I began with 500 calories and then I upped it to 550 calories for a day. So I figured, well, why not combine that with uh, my my weekly habit of recording an episode of The Walk and it just catch you up on a number of things that are going on in my life. And at the same time, uh, this is how I can keep my streak, which has been going on for almost two months now. Um, and I'm I'm very excited about that because it actually really works to keep me fit and to keep me in, in shape. I'm uh, uh, a bit apprehensive of the big uh, four-day walking event that I'm going to partake in in a few weeks from now. As I mentioned before, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of walking and normally you would train for that, but this year I just didn't have the time to train for it. I spent so much of my of my exercise time on running and on improving my running and getting faster that it was just impossible to spend um, hours and hours every week to to walk because walking of course is slow so if you um, if you train for 30 kilometers that easily will take like six hours and I just don't have that time so I did decide to um, dial it back I had uh, registered for 50 kilometers a day, so that would have been a total of, um, of 200 kilometers in four days. 
but because of my age, because I've, um, I'm past 50, uh, you can also, or actually the regular distance is 40 kilometers. And so I, I went to the website and said, yeah, this year I'll just walk 40. And even that is probably going to be quite a challenge. But I just hope that my overall level of fitness will be enough. Plus, I learned a hard lesson last year um, that I shouldn't walk, shouldn't try to walk on mountain shoes uh, or mountain boots. Instead, I'm going to get myself um, a new pair of um, easy walking shoes. Um, And I probably have to do that quite quickly because normally you have to break in new shoes, especially walking shoes. And that takes a couple of weeks. So here's hoping that I'll still have time to break them in. But I have to remind myself that um, tomorrow or well, probably the day after tomorrow, because tomorrow I'll be working um, all day long. Uh, Day after tomorrow, I'll I'll buy some, some walking shoes. Anyway, I am feeling a little bit better today. Um, I've had quite a struggle with the high temperatures. There's a lot of humidity. And even even now that I'm walking outside, the temperatures have gone down quite a bit, thankfully. But it's still humid. It's still, I feel that it's, uh, it's not really cool yet. And so that has really um, put a burden on on my sleep. I've, I've just not been sleeping more than six hours for about two weeks now. And uh, I, I really need my eight hours of sleep, preferably between seven or eight, but eight is ideal. And I just couldn't do it because I kept waking up. And then even if uh, I was able to sleep, I could tell afterwards when I looked at the sleep analysis of my watch that um, it was mostly light sleep. Um, and so lots of, of fever dreams where <laughs> I can tell that I'm constantly in this REM phase and, and it, it doesn't make for a, for a good night's rest. So I was happy that uh, this past night, finally the temperature in the house has dropped to an acceptable level and I was able to sleep 7 hours and 40 minutes. That's how precisely I count. <laughs> and I, I refuse to get out of bed until I have had seven between seven and eight hours of sleep now in order to get that amount i actually am in bed for 10 hours it's crazy i've never been in bed this long Uh, but i i know how important that sleep is for me especially also because i'm um uh, i have such an intense um intense schedule uh, and, and, and I do so much running training my muscles too have to have to recover and sleep is essential for that so well I'll just sacrifice a bit of my spare time in order to get more sleep and so I can tell the difference today I'm I'm feeling really good and I have ideas and I I'm not sl- falling asleep <laughs> after lunchtime um, and I even have some some energy left to go for a walk right now and and record this episode. So there are a couple of things that I would like to uh, talk about with you today. One is I'll be uh, talking about an important insight that I had on Sunday. And it was not during Mass. It was in a very peculiar situation, which I will expand upon later on. I also really want to talk about how that insight... Um, 
helps me to make the right choices as to how I organize my work, but also, more importantly, what I focus on. Um, and the first topic that I would like to address is the topic of boundaries. Um, it's, a, it's a recurring topic because it's, in, it's super important. It has been in, incredibly important in my own development and uh, in this learning process where I've discovered how much I had not been raised to protect boundaries or to define my boundaries, let alone protect them. And I've also um, incurred quite a bit of damage by others that didn't respect boundaries um, in the past. And, uh, and it's, of course, also always something that uh, is, is uh, risking to, to recur because people are people. And some people are pushing um, more than you want them. Uh, some people don't have not learned to respect boundaries or even don't really know what boundaries are. And, and oftentimes when people have trouble protecting their own boundaries, they don't really have learned to respect other people's boundaries. Now, the reason I want to bring this up is um, th this is one of the biggest flaws, I think, in my own upbringing. And it's, um, it's this idea that oftentimes, even when you would define your boundaries, um, you would be forced to ignore them. So people ignored them, but they also pushed you through those. They went over those boundaries to force you to do things that you had said you don't, didn't want to do. And this, I'm not talking about, I don't want to do my homework, I want to play video games. <laughs> of course, in situations like that, um, it's uh, sometimes good to challenge those, um, uh, those choices. But um, this is more about... Um, Boundaries that have to do with your identity, with your personal space, with um, the choices that you want to make in life. And uh, in, in my case, I think um, there was often um, an emphasis on, 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 on the obligation to be your best. Um, but that would not be like be the best you are. No, it's be the best that other people want you to be. So you had to change basically your behavior to become someone you were not and to behave like the ideal child who was always listening, who uh, would never fight back. That was one of the things that I was taught that um, I, I, as a child didn't excel in many things that would make me popular. And so I was often the target of bullies. And, and oftentimes when I would uh, complain about that, the advice was, well, you just have to, uh, just have to let it go. Just don't, you know, don't defend yourself. Don't, certainly don't fight because then you do exactly what they do to you and uh, that will only make things worse. And... I understand the rationale behind it, but it also had a very negative impact on my feeling of self-worth. So it was like, so I cannot fight back. I cannot, if, if kids are, are hurting me, I cannot 
smack them in the face and tell them to stop doing that. So it means that they are more important than I am. I just have to let them take advantage of me. And I just have to swallow it up and just let it go and forgive and, well, it's probably because I'm, I'm just not that important. So there's an insidious side effect of a child who feels that, well, when other people uh, go over my boundaries, I, sh- I should not protect those boundaries. I'm not allowed to fight back. I have to be the understanding one. I always, and this, this later on, uh, turn into many other, or this was also applied in many other situations. For instance, when I started as a priest, and I've shared this in uh, my book uh, years ago, I've also told this story many times here on the podcast, um, I really suffered uh, from a lot of pressure that was put on me to be a certain type of priest and to do what people expected me to do for them. It was never really about me. And that was um, in addition to what I shared with you last week, where in our formation and our relationship to the hierarchy of the church, there was also this idea that, well, since we are a hierarchy, um, we will tell you what to do. We will tell you what kind of person we want you to be. And don't you dare go against that, because, you know, that makes you not the person that we're looking for. So there was always this kind of hidden threat that if you would not let other people tell you who you should be, even if you felt that, well, I'm just not that kind of guy, um, there would be consequences. And when you are in um, in an unequal situation... And we were, as seminarians, we, we didn't control our future. Um, you tend to go along with it. To give you an example, um, I wasn't really a morning person as a, as a seminarian. And I had great trouble, um, b- you know, putting all, all my effort into getting high, high, high notes and uh, making sure I would excel in, in philosophy and theology. Um, but then I just didn't get enough sleep. And so in the morning, I oftentimes overslept and I wasn't there for morning prayers. And that was... Uh, I've, I've been in two seminaries. The first five years, I was in Belgium, in the French part of Belgium. Uh, I was studying at the university. I was doing a master's in philosophy. And it was... a um, I would say a seminary of more grown-up people in the sense that most of the students were a lot older than I was. And also um, the, the sem- seminary um, uh, president was a very wise, calm, very kind person. Um, and I think also a kind of a father figure. So... You know, nothing changed between that and there. I sometimes he would ask me, you know, how are you doing? Because we, I didn't see you in uh, at morning prayer, um, and so I told him, yeah, it's because I was studying for this exam or I had to write my thesis, and I just I can for me in the evening and late at night. That's when I get what. Well, that's when I can focus. 
during the day I'm often very distracted but when it all calms down and everybody goes to bed that's where all of a sudden I I get into the zone and it's my pr preferred time to work and so that's why I wasn't there and so he would say well okay I understand I'm glad that it's, that 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 it's not you know health related or that you are you know you don't want to come to the the prayer I understand and so that was always okay and you know what that kind of attitude also motivated me to want to to come to the morning prayer because I felt that this this president cared for my well-being cared for my spiritual life and and wanted to help in whatever way but without ever forcing me this completely changed when I returned to the Netherlands and I entered a seminary where I felt it was it was just a shadow of the quality of the of the formation that I had in in Belgium thankfully I already had a very good solid basis foundation for the first five years but that was followed by five years where I felt that a lot of the people that were responsible for the formation of priests, future priests, actually didn't have the didn't have what it takes to accompany us in a good way. Didn't have much um, uh, experience in raising uh, people in that phase of their lives, and didn't have uh, you know any any um, a psychological formation, educational formation. Um, and, and this is often the case, you know, in semin seminaries, there has been this long ongoing trend to nominate theologians, people that have a lot of knowledge, people that are, um, have always worked in the academic field, and they, they become presidents. And then oftentimes those people are selected to become bishops, there are so many presidents of seminaries that ended up as bishops. Because, of course, as a president of a seminary, you're very close to the bishop. And so you already have lots of priests will know you. And so when uh, a list needs to be made of proper candidates for, um, for the, the job of bishop the vocation or whatever you want to call it, uh, they, they, they often put the names of the presidents of seminaries on that list. But that doesn't always make for the right people. This is, and and I've, I've experienced this myself. Um, I've, I've felt the difference between an approach of a president who, who ultimately ended up also being a bishop, even an archbishop, um, but who was, I think... Um, very gifted for for running a seminary like that um, and then in my second the second part of my formation the, the five last years I had two presidents um, and I, I think the, <laughs> the first one didn't end up a, a bishop the second one did but it, it, the, the approach was so different. Here it was like, oh, you're not at the morning prayer. So we need to talk. And then I would be berated. You know, I'm supposed to go to bed in time so I can wake up in time, just like all the other seminarians. And then I remember having this conversation with uh, 
the seminary president, and he said, you know, well, look at me. I wake up at uh, 5.30, and then I, uh, I uh, eat some fruit, I drink a cup of tea, and then I read the newspaper, and, you know, I'll be up and running, and I, I never miss morning prayer. And I'm like, yeah, dude, <laughs> I didn't say this, but I, th- I thought this. I like, I am not like you. I don't work like that. I am a different person. And it is, you know, you could have asked me what was going on. I would have explained to you. But it was immediately um, formulated in this, uh, in, this, uh, in this sense that uh, you are not good enough. The way you function right now or dysfunction because it was immediately na- labeled negatively. And so you have to force yourself to become the ideal seminarian because, you know, later on we want priests that are early risers and hard workers and, and pious and everything. So there was this... I really, I've always resisted this idea that in order to become a priest I would have to become someone I was not. And for me this is also a very important theological issue because God is a God of freedom Jesus never forces someone to follow him he invites and he never he does berate people when morally they're doing something that isn't right when they live double lives and he confronts them he does that but someone who is impaired someone who is in need of help he's not going to berate them someone sometimes the apostles do that and they will tell jesus well well, it's probably because he's a sinner that he's in such a bad situation and jesus says no that's not how it works but unfortunately this is often how it works in the church where we think we need to protect our own narrative you know, this is, the, this is the way God wants the world to be. This is the way God wants people to be. But instead of, of using that as a, as, a, as a dot on the horizon, as a, a light that guides you, it becomes this interrogation flashlight. Why are you not the person that we require you to be? I think this is one of the biggest issues that I have with the, um, the, the attitude of some Christians, because this is bro- broader than just the Catholic Church, towards LGBTQ people, where it's, it's um, oftentimes the, the kind of the rationale that you hear from certain, not everyone, of course, but from certain theologians, certain priests, certain bishops, is, well, this is the norm. This is how we believe Jesus wants people to be. And if you are different, we'll label it. And even in our vocabulary, the church does that in a very pejorative way. It's maybe not, if you would ask 
moral theologians, is it meant to be pejorative? They would say, no, no, it's just a way, it's just a formulation. But the words themselves do hurt people that are in that situation. I've heard that from, from many people that I spoke with that are um, Catholic faithful, but also LGBTQ, or define themselves as LGBTQ. And so, uh, they're, especially if they have a relationship um, like a same-sex relationship, or if someone decides to uh, try to, you know, get surgery, so to modify his or her body to be more conform to the, let's say, self-defined gender. I know it's, this is a complicated discussion, and I'm not. I don't want to talk here about the theology or the moral theology. On these, on these matters. But it's the language and it's the attitude that I want to discuss here where we tell people that are in those situations, well, you're not good enough. You're not supposed to have a relationship. You're supposed to live a celibate life and, well, huh, if only you had been normal, <laughs> then you could have a normal relationship and, I mean, you wouldn't hear about it. You, you wouldn't hear from us but no you're not so this is what we want you to be we want you to live a celibate life you have to live alone and uh and this is not <laughs> this is not doctrine or anything but oftentimes it's encouraged that you don't talk about it and this is not it's like not we forbid you to talk about your um uh, about your your identity or how you define yourself. No, it's more like we don't talk about that kind of stuff. And it's it's, it's sometimes it, this is sometimes very insidious. It's formulated in a in a way like. Um, but as a church, we don't define people by their sexuality because people are persons. So that sounds very positive, right? And I think it's true. The church does not define people just by their uh, by their sexual identity or by their their um, gender or whatever but I'm walking through a tunnel to the other side of the highway in case you're wondering why all of a sudden there's an echo I wonder the lights are off which makes it a kind of a creepy tunnel no it should switch on automatically maybe not in the summertime because the sun hasn't set yet Anyway, so now I am heading for the park. So soon we will be in calmer uh, areas without the noise of the of the traffic. Um, so it's a pop. We, we we formulate positively. Uh, the church does not talk about. There was a, actually a time where it was advocated in the Catholic Church that uh, also in certain areas of the Catholic Church that we should not talk about homosexuals or lesbian people. No, we would just uh, use something like same-sex attraction as if it is just a matter of attraction and not identity. And th there were reasons for that. Again, I don't want to get into that right now, but the effect of that basically is it creates an atmosphere where if you are actively working in the church um, and you yourself 
um, have, feel that you are not, uh, let's say, conform to the to the the general norm, that you just don't want to talk about it because you know that if you would uh, speak up about that and you would share that, it could even threaten your your job. This is what has happened, where people have been. I remember this whole discussion uh, a number of years ago in my own diocese when a parish volunteer was um, was working for um, uh, working as the the treasury um, is that a, the name so the, the person who manages the finances of the parish but that person had struggled for years with gender dysphoria uh, didn't feel at ease as a you know being defined and uh, as a man and, and called a man and so he decided well you know what I I don't I don't feel comfortable with this I I am <laughs> I want to live as a woman from now on so he started to dress like a woman and I don't think there was any surgery uh, or anything, but he, he he changed his name or he told people, you know, from now on, this is how I want to be called and please refer to me as she and her. And this was way before the whole, uh, you know, uh, pronoun debate. Um, and the result was that some par- parishioners got upset, wrote to the bishop, and the bishop basically said, uh, that person is no longer allowed to be on the board of that parish. To, uh, to which, of course, that, that person appeal, tried to appeal and, uh, and said, well, this is not just, I'm, I mean, I, nothing has changed. I'm still exactly the same person. I love the church. I want to help. But now just because I make certain choices in my life that are just, you know, clothing and, and how I want to be called, all of a sudden I'm persona non grata, as they say in Latin. All of a sudden they kick me out and they, they, they forbid me from having any role in the parish life, that is what I, I can empathize with, having gone through that experience myself in, in seminary, where I felt that, and of course on a whole different level, I wasn't respected uh, as I was, but I was hinted at, or they hinted, at, at that maybe I should be a different kind of person if I wanted to become a priest. And you, and you have to realize how, how uh, threatening that is if you are still, you're not ordained yet. You have no power whatsoever. The bishop or the president of the seminary can just say, well, or can advise the bishop, well, we think that, uh, you know, this Father Roderick will never be a good priest because... Um, yeah, he doesn't wake up at six in the morning like virtuous people like me. I'm charging it a little bit, but that, that's how it felt. And I, I knew that there was nothing wrong with my spiritual life. There was nothing wrong with my desire to be a good priest. It's just that I had a different biological clock and that early morning prayer was just not always working for me. And, and I also could, it was because I'd been treated so respectfully in the first five years of my formation, which still I think is the bedrock of the kind of priest that I am today, 
I think I, I owe that mostly to the first five years of seminary. And the last five years, I became increasingly um, unhappy with the situation at the seminary and the way I was treated, but not just me. The way there was just this pervasive uh, idea that as a priest, you, su- you should sacrifice who you are and conform to the ideal, whatever that ideal may be. And I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's what, uh, what the church actually teaches. But it is part of the culture of the Catholic Church and, and many other churches. And so bringing this back to the whole topic of boundaries, um, this has had a massive impact on my life as a priest for most of the time that I've been a priest, most of the years. It was this feeling that uh, I had always, I should always be um, the priest that people expected me and wanted me to be. It's just what I sometimes call um, takeaway Chinese. You know, they, they, they want me to be a priest, to be a human being, <laughs> but they want me to be a, like a takeaway <laughs> Catholic restaurant, you know. We order, you serve. And uh, it has to be our recipe. It has to be what I indicate that you, that, that you do. And then if you don't do it, then, uh, well, you're, you're not good enough. It's, um, I never realized that that was so, that had, that that was so detrimental on my personal development. And it's only in the last few years that I've started to realize, I've, I've started to see the, the connections. I said, this is not incidents. This is a part of a system. This is part of a culture, a company culture. That is, I think, um, it that really needs to change. And if priests, and I, when I said this, you know, people that are unable to protect their own boundaries oftentimes don't respect other people's boundaries. I think that the fact that so many of us priests have been formed in that kind of that kind that that type of thinking where and uh, you know you, you are encouraged to to um to become a persona to a certain extent to become someone you're not not always um i think that that also becomes has its effect on how priests, bishops that have gone through that formation, who have gone through this whole years and years, this whole life of, um, of, of trying to portray themselves as being not... Uh, now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds a, a way too black and white, of course. We have very mature priests and bishops. and um, But also, unfortunately... We have a ton of... Uh, where do I go? It's getting dark. And I'm in the middle of the woods. I know where I am, but I don't know if this is a path. It looks like it's over, kind of partially overgrown. So I'll just go to the left here. 
where there's a clearer path, I hope that this uh, will bring me where I, where I want to be. Um, so again, I, I don't want to generalize, and, uh, but this is something that, that has really had such an impact on, uh, on my life and has hampered, I think, my, uh, my own... Um, even, even, I think, to a certain extent, it has hampered my development as a priest, as a good priest. Um, because if you are, if you don't listen to your own boundaries, if you let other people determine who you are and what you do, and you never stand up for yourself, which in my case was a pattern since I was a young child, then can you truly respect other people in the boundaries that they put around their identity, their, their choices, their life, their responsibility? Or do we feel that, well, you know, I'm just tolerating this. Well, that's not enough. <laughs> Christian love is not about tolerating something that you actually, in the back of your mind, resist and judge. Love is loving the person as that person is and being eager to help that person and to uh to 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 stimulate and motivate that person to be the to be the best not conforming to an outside ideal <clears throat> or to a certain mold of how people should be but you want to encourage people to be what god has given them to be and so there's a lot of, um, I think, love uh, when we talk, we say, well, this is tough love, for instance. You know, church should be, should be, sometimes should be tough out of love. So we should correct people. We should chastise them. We should berate them. Uh, in, in certain extreme cases, even refuse them communion, etc. But this is a very delicate process and it can go wrong so quickly because Sometimes what we call tough love is basically just power. We want to subjugate people and make them powerless by robbing them from their from their uh, from their position. That's what it is, I think. So if we tell someone, "Well, you are not living a life that we define as a good Christian life." then you are no longer allowed to be active, an active parishioner. I think that is a very dangerous thing to do and could cause so much damage and hurt. And I'm, I'm talking, this is not, for me, not a theory. I've had so many conversations, both in my pastoral work, but also in my job as an interviewer, as a program maker, with Catholics that felt rejected by their own church that have, gone, have suffered so much abuse, verbal, sometimes even physical abuse, just because they felt that they couldn't conform to the norm. And, and, and they have tried sometimes for years. I remember this one guy, kind of my age, maybe a little bit older, and he was in tears that for, for his entire life he had been fighting who he was, and, and praying God, please make me normal. 
Because everybody, his parents, the pastor, his friends, everybody told him, you're not normal, you're not good enough. And then God didn't answer his prayer. And it was only very, at a very late stage in his life that he realized, well, maybe, maybe God doesn't really want me to be someone else. Maybe I'm good enough for God. And that started a process of healing. I was so moved to hear that because, again, I could to a certain extent relate to that feeling it hurts so much when you feel i this is who i am and i'm i'm trying to be a good person but it's not respected and apparently i'm only good enough if i am not myself now why do i bring this up now during this walk uh first of all because i think this is a this is a problem that many of us deal with at one point in their life. This is also a problem where we make mistakes ourselves in judging other people. I've had times in my life where I would often judge people around me and, um, and I would have these simple, super simplistic ideas. Well, if only everybody would come to church on Sunday and would... Uh, would uh, go to confession every week and, uh, and just uh, uphold uh, the, the doctrine and the morals of the church, then you know, we wouldn't have all these problems in the church. What kind of thinking is that? <laughs> As if Jesus founded a church out of perfect people. His apostles were so, dif- so dysfunctional all the time. And it's, I think it's on purpose. Jesus loves to work with dysfunctional people. There's only one who is not dysfunctional, and that is Jesus himself. And, and <laughs> most parents, most teachers are dysfunctional to a certain extent. It's only, only Mary, <laughs> the Virgin Mary, was like her son, didn't have that, you know, dysfunctional behavior and, and was all love and all respect and, and to a certain extent, obedience, obedience to God. But it's a relational obedience, not a, this is the law and you have to do this and otherwise <clears throat> there'll be hell to pay. Um, but the reason I, I bring this up is that I, um, I've noticed that time and again, uh, there will be people that will not respect your boundaries. And especially if you have had trouble protecting those boundaries in the past, a very common reaction is to then uh, give in. You know, oh, maybe I shouldn't be this strict. Maybe I should just let this person do or say what that person did. And maybe I should just do what my strategy has been as a child, you know. Don't stand up for yourself. Don't say this is, this is going too far. You just let it go. You just ignore it. But oftentimes that doesn't help. It only makes it worse. I was watching um, a TikTok video of a, uh, a creator that I follow for a while now. And he's very good at 
explaining how to um, how to interact with people, how to react, how can you how you can diffuse situations, what to do when people lie to you, when people are um, behaving in a way that doesn't respect your boundaries. And uh, one in one of the latest videos, he says, uh, you know. There's a misunderstanding about boundaries. Boundary, a boundary is not just a line in the sand. He said a boundary is a perimeter, which means it protects something. It protects you and what you stand for. It protects your values, your identity, the choices that you've made, your dignity. I'm expanding upon this because it was a very short TikTok video, but that was such a this is obvious, of course, it's a perimeter. And you hear these dogs in the distance? Well, they're barking because they're a, they are protecting their own perimeter, the perimeter around this very luscious villa in the middle of the woods. And I don't know why it's barking. I don't think it's barking because of me. But he's behind the fence. And yet, he feels like he or she... I have to let this person that walks on the other side of fence know that this is a this is a boundary, this is a perimeter. Don't you dare cross it. And I'll keep barking at you until you walk away. That dog, that is a very good example. This is this is very natural that dogs defend their perimeter. If 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 birds uh, for instance have young younglings or how do you call it? Like swans, for instance, they, beca- they can become extremely territorial and even dangerous when they're raising uh, the little ducklings because they are protecting their youngs. They're young, and that is why they defend the perimeter. And this gives you and uh, me <laughs> a license to do the same. No other person has the right to tell you that you should be someone you are not. That the way you are and the, the things that you do are not good enough. I'm not talking about morality here. I'm not telling that you can't say to another person, hey, you have hurt me or you, you, you sinned or you committed a crime. Of course, that is uh, that's even necessary to then enter into a dialogue and sometimes even, you know, take measures so that that person cannot... Uh, cannot harm other people. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if, if you define yourself in a certain way, if you have certain uh, issues that you know you have to be careful with and you want other people to respect that, you, or you have trouble, I don't know, just focusing and, and you don't want other people to constantly uh, um, you know, bother you or harass you or whatever, you have the right to live your own life. Nobody can can force you to only be there for other people and to constantly be in this sacrificial mode. We're not the Messiah. We're not Jesus. We need our rest. We need our we need times to eat. We we have we have the right to have days where we're not functioning that well and when we're tired and and an off day. I mean we want people to respect us as we are. We know that we are responsible for our own life and our own choices, and uh, we we need people to respect that. And I think that is also true for the towards the church. I think that that the Catholic Church is, um, of course, 
appealing to people to be to, to rise above themselves and to grow and to keep growing and to learn and to whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm not advocating a church that says, oh, everything is okay. It doesn't really matter what you do in life. But there, before you challenge someone to, um, to commit to an ideal... Let me take a look at the recording time here. Uh, we still have some time. Um, the first thing you are obliged to do, because it's a commandment from Jesus himself, is love your neighbor as you love yourself. So talk to your neighbor in the same way you talk to yourself. Now, if your self-talk is super negative and you're super judgmental towards yourself, ask yourself what consequences that has for your the way you talk to other people and with other people. You know? So, the more you learn to be kind to yourself, the more that will help you to be kind to others and vice versa. Um... And when people go over that boundary, you have the right to stand up and say, I don't want this. I want you to stop. And I want you to respect me. And if that person continues to do, to go over your boundaries, you have the right to take measures. And, and countermeasures. This is why the church has certain punishments. If someone keeps hurting other people through sin, then the church can say, hey, we don't want you to be part of this communion, of this community anymore, because you're hurting other people, you're threatening them. And that's why we have excommunication in very serious situations. But that is... I think that's the, that's the other side of, of respect, if you respect others, then you can ask other people to respect you. If the church really communicates and practices this respect for everyone, also for people that are maybe not exactly living uh, according to the norms or towards their own personnel, if priests are not exactly the ideal type of so-called normal priest, if we are able to respect people, then we can also ask for people to respect us. And I think this is one of the reasons that so many people have turned away from the church and are because they they point at us, at the abuse crisis, at all the um, the abuse of power, the spiritual abuse that is so rampant in the Catholic Church, in the Evangelical Church, in many other communities. And they say, you want to tell me how I should be? And I cannot tell you that you are wrong? Yeah, I'm out of here. So anyway, long story short, um, I'm currently in the situation where I have to put my um, my foot in the, in the sand and, and tell... Uh, certain people that I have clearly defined my boundaries you have gone over those boundaries multiple times 
uh, this is this is where it ends, <laughs> and we have to. Um, I'm going to make sure that my boundaries will be respected, because I will not make the, that mistake again in my life where I let other people um, hurt me or, in one way or another, um, go over my self-defined boundaries. Um, so I want to put a bow on that and, and uh, put it aside. Uh, I didn't expect to go on about this for so long, but um, I, I feel it's so important. And, and the church still has so much to learn. Uh, one final thing um, that I want to say, why this is probably so you know, much on, on my mind today, is I came across... Um, uh, a TikTok uh, series of a former evangelical pastor. And his first TikTok is basically the day after he got fired by his evangelical community. And then uh, he uh, chronicles his what that does to him and he starts to deconstruct his faith, what he's always believed. And over the year, or I don't know exactly, I think it's about a year that he's been doing these TikToks, you see him come to the realization that he actually he was part of that system and he too did to other people what they now did to him. And that makes him re-question everything that he believes in. And he refuses to become an atheist. And he says, no, I feel that what I want to do is I want to convert myself to, to Jesus and to what my faith really or really tells me to do instead of the what we made of it this human construct that is super judgmental is very much you know white privilege and extremely um harsh and damaging to people that are not and then well one of the first things he says in that video is i have lived most of my life as a pastor as someone i was not I just desperately wanted to be a certain pastor that I felt people needed. And I convinced myself that it was good that I wasn't myself. And I was like, man, I so totally relate to that. And that's, I, I, I applaud him for the courage to step away from that and to re-question his faith. And, um, and it's a fascinating journey. So, anyway... <laughs> Sometimes I feel that during these walks, I'm going through the same process. I'm kind of like processing my own upbringing and questioning it, questioning it and searching for the truth. And always at the same time uh, being um, both, I think, critical and also extremely loyal to the faith in which I was brought up. Because I believe that... Uh, <laughs> I believe that God founded this church and wants it to grow and evolve and learn. And I think the process that we're in uh, with the whole question of synodality where we have to relearn to listen and to... to uh, but I just read today that Pope Francis is actually encouraging... Um, uh, no, not encouraging. He had a meeting with uh, the top cardinals and uh, with a canon law expert because he said, I want to make sure that this whole process of synodality where 
where we learn, this is not the synodal process in Germany, I mean, it's a totally different thing. This whole synodal process where we learn to listen to each other and to listen to what the, what the, the, the Holy Spirit teaches us. I want this to be part of the diocese as well. So our diocesan structures will have to be reformed to guarantee, to safeguard that attitude. And I'm thinking, yes. Yes, please, please, because I have known and I've experienced myself how much damage it does when, instead of listening, the church judges and, and forces people to conform to their self-defined idea, not self-defined, but the, the ideal of certain people. And it's always dangerous to say, well, well, but I know the truth. I'm on the right side. God is with us, and not with all these sinners over there. And I'm thinking, you know what? That is not the attitude that I see in the Bible. It's certainly not the attitude that has prevailed throughout church history. Um, anyway, <laughs> I can talk about this for hours, but I wanted to mention also um, something I teased at the beginning of this walk. Uh, which had to do with uh, where I was on Sunday and this insight that I had. So Sunday after church, um, I went to um, Dutch Comic Con. Uh, I've been there many times in the past. It's It's actually these conventions are growing and growing in the Netherlands. And I think this weekend they were sold out on both days. I didn't have a ticket for Saturday. So that's why after Mass... I uh, took the train to Utrecht so I could still be there for a couple of hours. And I think there were, I don't know, 40,000 people. It was just extremely crowded. It was very warm. It was the last day of the heat wave. And uh, in the past, when I went there, I always took my camera with me. And so I did that as well. Uh, with his idea, like, mm, I, uh, I need to film this. I'm going to make a documentary about this day. And then I realized that there was no way that I could muster the energy to do that. I was wiped out. It was a very hot day. I hadn't slept for for several nights. Um, I just came out of mass. I, I, I just was so extremely tired. And so instead, I was just walking around, giving myself permission to be tired and to not be productive. It's, again, letting go of that inner voice that tells me that everything I do, even if it's just something I like, it has to be also for the good of others. It's this, well, we've, we've discussed this inner voice, and you know, I recognize it. So first thing I did was when I felt so tired, I was like, you know what, let's leave the camera in the bag. I'm just going to walk around. And so I walked around, trying to find people that I knew, and in the past, it was always uh, recognition. Uh, for, you know, I know you from TikTok. I know you from YouTube. Or people that I know from my Star Wars friends. And, and I, I was walking for about two, three hours. And I didn't recognize anyone. Nobody came up to me uh, to say hi. And, and that was so weird. Because all of a sudden I felt extremely alone, even though I was surrounded by tens of thousands of other geeks. And I felt like a stranger almost, like, why am I here? 
what's the point of me being here? I'm just super tired. Maybe I should just go home. And I, I don't know. It's, it just felt very uncomfortable all of a sudden. And, and I look at all these people and I'm thinking, you know what? I used to have a, a message for, for these people. I used to connect with these geeks. Why is it that I all of a sudden feel a stranger? What's going on here? And I, I really felt strange and I didn't know how to handle how I felt. Let's see, how are we? Sorry, yeah, I need to start. <laughs> my um, uh, windshield is covering the, the little screen on my recorder <laughs> with the time, so I don't want to go over an hour. So that's why I lifted up the windshield to, to check. And so, and, and then I, I did some thinking while I was walking around. I did some thinking, you know, these are the people. I, I felt a longing to connect. And at the same time, nobody connected with me. That's why I felt so lonely all of a sudden, which I never feel like that. I'm always super at ease in whenever I'm in a geeky environment. So this, is, this was new. And after some thinking, I thought, you know what I actually feel is a desire to connect with these people and to be able to talk to them. And I used to do this. Uh, until recently, I, I, I did this on YouTube and on TikTok. And I see so many anime fans. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, why, why am I not doing any TikToks anymore? And then I told myself, well, I know why you don't. Because you told yourself that you, um, you are going to focus on the documentaries and on the communication course. And, well, you can only do one thing at a time. So that's why you relegated your YouTube channel and TikTok channel to the status of, uh, well, it's a hobby if I have time and if I have energy. But if I'm totally honest, that time and energy has been absent for, <laughs> for months now. And it's not that I miss making those videos, but I do miss the contact with that community. And I was reminded of one of the most recent gospel readings at Sunday where Jesus looks at the crowd and feels sad because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And I was walking around there and I was like, I'm a shepherd without sheep here. <laughs> and that is really not where I want to be. And so, all of a sudden it dawned upon me. It was actually not, a, not an intellectual realization, but it was all of a sudden I recognized this desire to reboot that contact through TikTok, through YouTube, to reconnect and talk about the deeper layers of Star Wars and anime. Um, because I miss the contact with that particular group of people, and there are so many of them. And then I was like, but what about the documentaries? Well, the documentaries are um, something I, I love to do, but they had a very specific purpose. They brought in enough money to pay the bills and to keep our foundation, the Tridio Foundation, up and running. Um, and they, to a certain extent, also gave me a certain le legitimacy. 
I could tell people, this was something I could explain. Hey, I am a documentary maker. I work for TV. And then my bishop and my fellow priest would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very good, very good. We hear a lot about your program from our, from our older parishioners. <laughs> That's usually what, what it was. My, my fellow priest, my bishop, never watched a, an episode that I made, ever. But they heard from older people that went to church. Yeah, yeah, Father Roderick is a good guy. He makes nice programs. So that was a lot of the... That was, that was a big part of my motivation to make those programs. But... If I'm fully honest here, even if I would post these documentaries on YouTube in English, it would probably reach a very, very small group of people. Of course, it's, there's always, if you are consistent and you work hard enough, over time it will gather an audience. I know how the game works, but it's not guaranteed. Whereas I do have an open channel to tens of thousands of geeks from all over the world that love what I do and I just I just leave them hanging so that's when it clicked it's like uh uh I made a I made a mistake by telling myself that those documentaries were the big thing uh it's it, it, that's not what I crave. I think I love doing it, but <laughs> when I have to force myself to do it, and I don't even know if anyone is going to watch them, because that's basically what it comes down to. I'm not sure that if I make a new documentary, that I'll I'll be able to sell it to a broadcasting company. I don't know any of that. But I do know if I make a video on TikTok tomorrow about religious symbolism in anime, I will have 30,000 to a million views. This is what happens to every video I post on TikTok. And if I do something very well produced on YouTube, I will get big numbers as well. And it's not about the numbers, but it's about the amount of people that can benefit from my work. And that is that is the insight that I had. And, and so I decided to rethink a little bit my priorities um, and um, I'm uh, currently contemplating I'm working on this I give myself also permission to t- take it easy and work this out to strengthen my 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 main shows which is which are the break and the walk to strengthen those as pillar content in new ways now the walk uh, there's not much I can change, uh, and, and, and I, I, I do think that this works as a, as a concept and as a format. Um, but what I do want to do is to find a way, at the end of a, an episode of The Walk, to film a short video while I'm walking, you know, outside, and I just do a summary of what I just talked about. And it will be like a four or five minute video, maybe even shorter, with just a gist of the, this is what I've, this is what I've learned. And if you want to hear the full episode, you know, there's a podcast. That's, that's one way, I think, to use what I already do to turn that into a video that may appeal to much, many more people than, than just the audio podcast that I have. The second thing is with the break, I have all these different segments and I've, I, you know, that I've been experimenting with, uh, 
uh, creating short content, short form content based on segments of the of the break. But that was still me sitting at my desk, which is just not the best narrative approach. Um, and so I'm thinking, well, well, what if I approach this a little bit more as a television show? So it, what what they often do in talk shows is when they go to a new topic, there is an item, like a video item. It can be a report, can be just an interview with someone. It's short. But you, you, you're taken out of the context of the studio. You, you, you watch something and then you come back and then there is a conversation. And I'm thinking, mm, over time, that might be a good approach to... Um, and the first thing I was thinking of was this whole Catholic insider idea. You know, w- w- instead of trying to make a television type of show <laughs> or episode about my travels, why don't I just show um, a five, six minute video and I will edit it and do the voiceovers in such a way that you can also listen to it. You don't need to see it. So it will have voiceover, it will be descriptive enough so you can follow it even if there is no video. And that is going to be the beginning of an item. So I could have a series like (laughs) this month is Scotland month and every week there's going to be this five, six minute story of something I experienced in Scotland or in Spain or whatever, you know. So that would be a way and then it could, there could be an extension in audio form uh, for instance, where I talk a little bit more about the church history in that re- area, or I don't know, there's so many different ways in which you can expand upon that. That all of a sudden makes... It, it combines the best of both worlds. Uh, it, it helps me to limit the amount of time that I'm working on uh, the video material, but I also make it... Um, I, I use it to enhance what I already do on the break. Uh, so, and, and then maybe gradually I can start to do that with some other content as well. Uh, the geeky content, you know, the, the video uh, movie reviews, and um, I can totally see uh, the same idea where I, oh, I'm on a crossroads here and I'm very far from home. <laughs> We've been on a big walk. So um, uh, when I'm, I'm just going to wrap it up here and then I'm going to uh, uh, look at my GPS to see how, what the fastest way home is. If I take the wrong turn here, I'm not going to be home before sunsets. Anyway, so, so that, that, that's what I'm telling myself. Instead of you know, making the documentaries my full-time job and then, uh, and then I'm too tired to do anything else, I make connecting with my audiences the, the primary goal. It's connecting with you as a podcast listener, connecting with my YouTube community and with my TikTok community. That is what I desire and what I long for. That's, that is why I'm a priest. You know, it's, I'm a pastor. <laughs> the documentaries are, are uh, uh, educational, but they're not my, my core business. And then, but I still make the, these these shorter videos, which, of course, if you put them all together, let's say I do a month of little items about Scotland, I can make them in such a way that if you 
tie them all together, it will be a, an episode, a TV episode. So that, that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. But it's mostly to, um, to protect what I feel called to. And that is to be a pastor of the geeks. <laughs> to be a geek priest. That's what I've been for many years. It's what makes me happy. And I think that's where I can contribute something to the work of the church and uh, to be welcoming and to be to connect with people <laughs> where they are yeah that's what i want to do anyway thank you so much for the privilege of your time uh, my apologies if this was a bit long and maybe a little bit soap box ish <laughs> but uh, i hope you understand why uh, why i wanted to share this with you let me know your comments if you're on discord uh, thanks to my patrons for supporting me and uh thanks to all of you um, we'll talk soon. God bless.